What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to or watching as the case may be. Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things. We contemplate them. We turn them over in our minds and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28. Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Well, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today we're going to talk about behavior on social media as it relates to the parasocial phenomenon. uh, We're going to look at an article from Forbes Health about parasocial relationships. Hello, Reginald Perry. Hello, John Exum. It's good to see everybody. Um, Look, before we go forward, I want to say that um, this is, although I've had a couple of run-ins with some folks in the last few days, I've blocked three people in the last few days. This is not reactionary to that. This is something that I've been thinking about for a while. I've been doing study on for a while. And it's this idea of parasocial relationships and how social media negatively affects our ability to bond with people, quote unquote, in real life. And it gives us a skewed view of what a relationship is and how to form a relationship. And it really, it exacerbates narcissistic tendencies in an individual who was already predisposed to having narcissistic tendencies. I've read a lot of literature. I've listened to a lot of lectures from psychologists and stuff like that. And the main thing that I want to get away from, or I want to convey is this idea that, well, everybody's a narcissist. He's a narcissist. You're a narcissist. I think with the mental health education that's going on uh, to the masses, um, that term narcissist has become semantically overloaded. I don't know a good word, though, to take its place. The the word narcissist comes from a Greek mythology uh, where uh, this this cat, Narcissus, uh, was very, very beautiful. He, He knew it. He was arrogant and prideful. And there was, I believe it was like a wood sprite or a water nymph or something like that. And her name was Echo. And she was spurned by this uh, character, Narcissus. And I believe it was, it may have been Aphrodite. Y'all, y'all had to fact check me on this. But one of the goddesses in the Greek or Roman pantheon um, cursed Narcissus because so heartbroken was this little nymph, uh, Echo, that she wasted away to nothing, and the only thing she would be able to do is, uh, it's called echolalia. It's repeat the last thing that was said to her. So that's where we get this echo. Um, you know, you walk out into the woods and you go, hey, what's up? And you hear a call back, what's up, what's up, what's up? Anyway. Uh, this angered one of these goddesses, I think it was Aphrodite, and it angered hers to the point where she cursed Narcissus. And he fell in love with himself. And when he bent down uh, to get a drink out of a still water, he saw his reflection and he fell in love with himself to the point where he wasted away and died. And on the bank of that uh, pond or or body of water in his place was this flower. And that's where we get the Narcissus flower. 
So that's the story of narcissist and or, or uh, that, that's the story of narcissus and and from where the term narcissistic comes from. It's a person who thinks much higher than themselves than they ought. They are smug, self-important, they're in love with themselves and everybody everybody who advocates on their own behalf has a tinge of narcissistic uh of of, of narcissism. Now, the reason I say it's semantically overloaded is because there's a lot of people out here that are that are that are Googling uh, the Diagnostics and Statistics Manual, the DSM-5, and they say, well, look here, here's, here's the criteria for narcissistic personality disorder, and they'll look at somebody and they'll say, you meet the criteria for narcissistic personality disorder, and they will diagnose someone with NPD. Look. Professional therapists don't even do that. A good professional therapist will, will, will try their best not to actually diagnose somebody because a diagnosis is actually a hindrance more than it's a help. So when I use the word narcissism or narcissistic, I am not repeat. I almost, almost ought to make a ticker to go where it says subscribe to our Christianity Now Substack. I almost need to make a ticker where where what says I am not using the word narcissist in a formal diagnostic way. I'm just using the word narcissist as a person who is stuck on themselves. They they think too highly of themselves. They are wrapped up in themselves. Um they think more of themselves than they ought to think. They think they they have this air of superiority about them. That's a narcissist as far as this conversation is concerned, whatever you know, or whatever you think you know about narcissistic personality disorder and all of the cluster B personality disorders, that is not the way I'm using the term. Okay. That is not the way I'm using the term. I'm using the term exactly the way I described about a, a person who exhibits behavior where they are, uh, what's the, What's the, what's the good way to put it? Exhibiting behavior where they are stuck on themselves, uh, where they are um, self-important, self-aggrandizing. Uh, they don't like to take accountability for actions, stuff like that. And in that definition of the term, everybody has narcissistic tendencies. My point of this show today is we're going to show how Facebook, social media in general, has exacerbated this problem. And has created this idea of parasocial relationships where people are out here having interactions on social media that they would never, ever, not one time ever have in real life in the quote unquote real world. I don't know if it's true, but I've read that there's a narcissism scale similar to the autism scale. Long story short, that's true. Um, although there's, there was no such thing as an autism scale until someone to until a group of, of peers in that field got together and said, there's an autism scale. Incidentally, the liberal left talk about, and the anti-vaxxers, they talk about how, well, look at how autism is risen and look at how autism is risen. The reason autism is risen is because they changed it to a spectrum. And now anybody who has sensory issues or anything, um, 
I mean, I would, I would meet some of the criteria. I would probably, I would probably be on the spectrum as far as being autistic goes. Uh, Ron DeSantis in the United States, who's currently running for the uh, Republican presidential nomination, it is, it is theorized that he is potentially autistic on the autism scale. But Scott, you are absolutely correct. There, there is a scale, and probably what what we are talking about, whenever we are talking, when I'm you going to use the word narcissism today, is the far end of that scale. That's the opposite to full blown narcissistic personality disorder. I, 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 I'm I'm not a mental health professional. I don't diagnose. I don't diagnose. Even a mental health professional wouldn't diagnose if they could get around it. Um, but that's it. Let's go to the comments. Good to see everybody. Scott Beck, Dinah Harden, Sword and Pearl, Brian Allen, Austin Hoskins says, I'm a potato. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting. And uh, Romans 12, 3, John Exum, for through the grace given to me, I say each one among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think uh, so as to have sound thinking as God has allotted each a measure of faith. So that's good. That's that's yeah. It's a violation of of easily understood, clear cut scripture that as Christians we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. So we're going to go. We're going to go to my go to passage of scripture when dealing with behavior on the internet, and I'm going to I'm going to set the stage, and then we're going to look at this article from Forbes Health about uh, parasocial relationships. So everybody that's listened to me for any length of time, you know, I'm going to first Thessalonians chapter four and verse 11, and that you study to be quiet, to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we have commanded you that you may walk honestly towards them that are without that you may have lack of nothing. So Paul is telling the church in Thessalonica study or give diligence to be quiet and to mind your own business and to work with your own hands. Folks, Facebook erodes that. We have so much access to so many different people who are who, who have different values and ways of thinking that, as we, yet it is easy to bypass them and just find people who are your echo chamber. And you don't ever have to deal with somebody that thinks differently than you do or says something with which you might disagree. And I don't know when the change happened, but it seems that there are people in Christendom who take it upon themselves and and feel the responsibility to be what I like to call the brotherhood police. And it's a certain subset of people. I say it's gospel preachers and they're the absolute worst about it. I don't know what it is about gospel preachers that think that they can get on Facebook and police everybody and everything. They are the world's worst. It makes it very hard for me when I meet somebody new, if they identify themselves as a gospel preacher, it makes them very it makes it very hard for me to give them a fair shake because of the behavior that I see. And that's the that is the <clears throat> that is the definition of bigot. I get it. But in that way, I'm just bigoted and I can't help it. It's because of my life experiences. You know, you have a dog catcher go out and, and, uh, there's red dogs and yellow dogs. And every time he catches a yellow dog, he gets bit, but a red dog never bites him. 
he, it's going to be real hard for him to be friendly to a yellow dog. Same, same way with, same way with this. There's a certain subset of people from whom I see this action over and over and over and over. And I'm like, who do you think you are? Who died and left you in charge of another man's matters? You're a busybody. We can't, we can't be a busybody in other men's matters. I'm not going to go to Scott Beck's. I'm not going to go to Scott Beck's profile and his Facebook page. If he shares something I disagree with, I'm not going to jump in his comment section and correct him. Especially if it's not damnable. But even if it's damnable, I've developed enough of a relationship with Scott Beck. I'm going to go to him privately. I'm not going to correct him publicly. What, whatever happened to that sentiment? I grew up with this sentiment being taught this. What is it? Would this be this adage or this, this, this maxim that you correct in private and you praise in public folks. That's, that's what Christians should adopt. Why, why would you, why would you go into somebody else's or on somebody else's platform? And if you're sincere, and if your goal is to actually help that person because you think that what they're currently sharing and what they're currently stating is wrong, well, why would you why would you go and cut them down in public or admonish them in public? And now here's the problem. I'm going to read you a comment where a person he came into my timeline and he admonished me and through implication, he made some very serious accusations. And whenever I challenged him on it, he was like, well, I just come in. What can people not disagree with you? Can you not handle people disagreeing with you? I just came in. I disagreed. What's your problem? Well, that's gaslighting folks. And I'm going to show you that comment here in a minute. And incidentally, I left it up. I, I let this dude go on. I, he, he went on forever. I, I didn't think he was ever going to stop. And I did it so I would have a good example to show for this podcast. I knew I was going to be having today. Incidentally, Aaron Dotson's out of town. That's why he's not here. This is Christianity now. I think I said cogitations whenever we first started. Anyway, it's the Christianity Now podcast. Mary Rose, you look so cute. Add me up and let's chat. Mary, I think that you need not to have access to uh, to this live stream. Yeah, First uh, Corinthians six one through six. Um, yeah, there's a principle at work in First Corinthians six. Let's say that somebody, well, Jonathan Exum, you're the one that posted that, so I'm going to use you. Let's say that Jonathan Exum actually puts out a post in which is contained damnable doctrine. Why in the world would I want to publicly show that? Why in the world would I want to publicly go on his Facebook page and his timeline and correct him and explain to him that he's wrong and he's going to hell and this, that, and the other. All of that may be true. 
But when I do it on his timeline, when I do it in public, it takes away from the accomplishment of the initial contact, which the purpose of the, of the, of the, it takes away the accomplishment of the desired purpose of the initial contact. And it replaces it with, well, now I look good because I went over there and I corrected this man that was in sin. Folks, what we want to do is if any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual restore such a one and consider yourself lest yourself, lest you're also tempted. We're to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. I don't understand why we would do it in public. Now, if Jonathan Exum shares something with which I, with which I disagree and it is not damnable, Nobody will ever know it. Nobody will ever know that I disagree with it. Do you know why? Because I don't go on his timeline just to correct him and argue with him. Although I could if we wanted to have a conversation publicly because he and I have each supper together. We sit at the same table together. We've developed a relationship together with one another where we can do that. But if Jonathan Exum was a stranger that I only knew on Facebook, I, that you, 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 if you, if all you know someone is 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 on Facebook, you don't know them well enough to go on their timeline and to be uh, correcting them or 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 um, admonishing them publicly or something like that. And the way it's done, it's in the worst possible, sickly sweet. Nicey mean kind of way. Nicey mean. You, you, did you catch that? Uh, Preston Silcox says the objective is to win the soul, not the argument. Yes, and and Preston, that argue that that argument that that comment is one hundred percent true, and I co-sign it one hundred percent. But it's for the next stage. You know, the stage that I'm talking about is is if if somebody shares something. That's not damnable. Like their soul's not in jeopardy. You just don't agree with it. Well, the, the, the comment you just shared, if John Exum shared something where his soul was in danger, the objective is to win the soul. So I'm going to do everything I can to allow that brother to save face. Incidentally, I can't remember the proverb and I should. Um, he who covers a matter, hold on a second, help me out here. He, he that, if you love somebody, you're going to cover a matter. But if you tell, if you repeat a matter, you separate friends. What is that? Sword and Pearl. Tony, I think you're right on the narcissistic aspect of it. There's a desperate need for validation by means of getting people to respond to them. Otherwise, they'd correct others in private. The sword and pearl. I wish that I could frame. I wish I could frame that. And and just keep it around. I mean, that, that's such a good, succinct statement. Uh, what does 1 Corinthians 3.17 mean? Um, well, I, I mean... That's okay. I, I, let me let me really quickly. I'll go uh, see if I can do that. I try to answer my 
my people in my live stream, but first Corinthians three, uh, 17, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are collectively. The people are the church. The thesis of the book of first Corinthians is verse 16 and 17. Know you not that you are the temple of God and the, and the spirit of God dwelleth in you. So that's collectively. That's not individually. This is not a verse talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Collectively, the congregation of the Lord's people where you are is the temple of God. That's where God dwells. That's how you commune with God. When you look at the type and anti-type of the temple in the new covenant, Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 10. If you defile that temple, God's going to destroy you. Well, how will God destroy you? Well, go read chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, and if you defile the temple of God with your sin, church discipline has to be practiced, and the order is to give give someone up for, to Satan. And that's how God destroys you. Uh, for the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be with you, because the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. John, I don't know how, uh, that's a good verse. I just, I don't know what the, the point there is. Um, so where do I need to go from here? Um, let's get to, uh, let's get to this article from Forbes health. So the rising popularity of social media has given people instant access to celebrities influencers and political figures and at times this access can feel as much a part of our lives as attending school or clocking in at a job according to data from pew research center in 2021 72 percent of americans used some type of social media compared to just five percent when they started tracking in 2005 with, with just a few taps on a screen, users can now tune into live streams, watch videos, scroll images, and view commentary from personalities they may otherwise never have access to. For some, this exposure may result in the development of parasocial relationships or one-sided bonds with public figures. Read on for more information about these relationships, including their root cause and potential risk and advice for steering clear of them. And that's what we got. Um, is this the proverb you were looking for? Wealth makes many friends, but the poor are separated from his friend. No, the proverb I'm looking for is specifically about covering a matter. Love covers a matter. Love covers a matter, but he who repeats something separates friends. I, anyway, I, I we'll, we'll find it. Or if you could, yeah, find it for me. Uh, Praveen, what does the church do? Praveen, uh, brother, that's not the topic of conversation for today. Uh, keep tuning in, and and maybe one of these days we'll have a an open forum where I I just do a a question and answer. Normally, whenever I do question and answers, they um, they haven't garnered enough questions. That's it. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Uh, Proverbs seventeen nine. I need to, I need to put that in a plaque on the wall along with the sword and pearls comment. Uh, but Proverbs 17, nine, he who, who, he who covers a trend. Now, does that mean, 
and before um, before I continue this article on parasocial relationships, does that mean if I go to Missouri where John Exum lives and I go to the me- local Mexican restaurant and I see John Exum sitting in a Mexican restaurant with a woman who is clearly not his wife, well, love tells me that I need to think about that and interpret that in the best possible light. In other words, I need to be a little bit naive. Okay, good. But what then if he leans over and that gal and him smooch on the lips a little bit? Well, folks, love believes all things, but love ain't stupid. I know that that ain't Jonathan Exum's sister. That's his wife. I mean, that's not his wife, and he ain't supposed to be kissing on anybody other than his wife. So does that mean that that proverb teaches that if I cover up that transgression and I help him hide it, that I'm a good person? Well, God forbid. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Jonathan Exum. That's right. Good, good response. John Exum, you would have my permission to knock me silly. So let's say I would go over to John Exum and I would ball my fist up and I'd mash him in that mouth he used to kiss that gal. And I would say, you're better than this. I love you and we're going to get through this. And if he said, my mouth hurts really bad, but you knocked some sense into me and you're right, I'm never going to do this again. Then we would talk about ways that we could that, that, that I could help him and we could help each other get him through this. And I wouldn't tell a soul, but that's not, that's not how people like to do it nowadays. They, they like to make it public. Well, no love covers a transgression. Love saves face. Love helps people save face. Here's what you don't ever want to do. Whenever somebody is wrong, you don't want to rob from them an easy path back to the truth. Just did a podcast about Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. The religious argument for the existence of God. He is not far from every one of us. If, 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 if <laughs> Tony can't quote scripture. Acts chapter 17. Bear with me. And he hath made of, yeah, he's made of one blood, all the nations and men, verse 27, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. The Lord is not, for a person who's caught up in a transgression, the Lord is not far from him. He just got to turn around and come back. But if what I do, okay, let's talk about John Exum. Uh, if I if I see John Exum out with somebody that's not his wife and, and I smack him in the mouth a good one, and then I run and tell everybody, I have made it very difficult for him to come back. What you want to do is, is let somebody save face. You want to take, incidentally, we had, we had somebody here asking about church discipline. With church discipline, you want to take the Barney Fife approach to church discipline. 
nip it in the bud. But whenever you, before you get to the point where you're withdrawing fellowship from somebody, you want to take the Andy Griffith approach to long suffering. You want to allow people to save face. Watch Andy Griffith and, and watch the Andy Griffith show and look at how many times he allowed people in his company to save face. You have to allow people an off ramp. You have to allow people a way to come back. You cannot corner them. I, I'm not going to mention this scenario, and I'm not going to mention this name, but I know somebody who was publicly dragged. Well, well I mean, bad for a position that he really didn't believe in. In other words, he made an offhanded comment. And, 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 and that was probably uninformed that wasn't well thought through. And somebody took that comment and put him on blast. And then he was attacked and he defended his position instead of being like, look, man, I, I don't even believe that go kick rocks. And so he, he doubled down. Well, we've got to watch that because if, if somebody is. Uh, if somebody is actually in sin and they're posting stuff on social media that is false doctrine, if we go on their timeline and publicly get them told, 99 times out of 100, we're going to be doing more harm than good. And the only thing we're doing is making ourselves feel good because I'm righteous, I went and told those people off. I went and told them how how wrong they are, and I told them I loved them, and I told them they were. I was I was um, I was concerned for their soul, and all that good stuff. And incidentally, I, I appreciate the the verses uh, in the Bible that talk about open rebuke is better than secret love. That's Proverbs twenty seven. I, I, Proverbs twenty seven is my go to passage. I appreciate the fool ignores rebukes and often responds with abuse and hate for the person making the correction. Proverbs 7, 9 and Matthew 7, 6. I appreciate that. But the Bible was written not in a way that deals. In other words, all of that instruction and all of that, those uh, maxims are situations that are not social media. It's situations in the local congregation. Matthew chapter 18 doesn't apply to Facebook. First Corinthians six applies to Facebook. That principle don't go to law before the Gentiles. Um, Matthew chapter uh, 18 applies in principle as it relates to going to your brother privately But we can't, and, and this, this is this is where scripture is weaponized. So I'm again, I'm gonna John Exum. You're getting a lot of you're getting a lot of traffic now. So let's say John Exum posts something about, well, let's say he posts something about how he wants to rear his children, and I disagree with it. Let's say that I've got a a, a book written by an expert that objectively says that he's wrong. Do I need to persuade him that he needs to 
take another course? Perhaps it's possible. I mean, he may actually have not a damnable opinion, but he could have an opinion that's very dangerous. Now, how do I go about that? I don't, I don't do it on Facebook. I don't go on the, I don't go on the post where he made that statement and say, Hey, listen, actually you're wrong. And you know, we got to be careful how we do this because we'll come across this, that, and the other, and we'll end up making children like this and grow into adults like that. And this expert says this, and you know, maybe one day if you study good and work hard, you'll be as enlightened as me. And I love you. And it's my desire to correct you in love and in the, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Sorry for the thing going here. I don't know why it's going. It never goes this time of day, but anyway, so yeah, that that's why would John listen to that? Very rightly, John Exum should tell me, look, man, you need to go kick rocks. Just, you don't have to agree with me. <clears throat> All right. Um, let me see if I've missed any comments. Would Absalom be considered a narcissist? He weighed his own hair for crying out loud. Scott, I spent five minutes at the beginning of the show saying that I'm not and I can't diagnose. Why are you asking me to diagnose this man? Anyway, <laughs> um, I don't know if I don't know if Absalom could be considered a narcissist, but Absalom definitely had narcissistic tendencies. But with the exception of weighing hair, which is very easy for me to do, I have narcissistic tendencies just like everybody else. So this is, this is such as is common to man, okay? And incidentally, the only reason I was able to go back and get your comment because I saw the sword and pearl laugh at it. Um, all right. Now, let's get back to the article. I wish I could flip a switch and that, what you're hearing, and I don't know how well you can hear it, but what you're hearing is the uh, water heater heating up the water. I don't know why it picked now to come on. Nobody's been running any water. All right. So what is a parasocial relationship? And I'm going to read through this article, and I'm going to try to intertwine this, and then I'm going to give you the golden example of what I'm talking about. And I actually have two of them, and it's not my intention. I'm not going to call their names. And after this program, I am going to go and I'm going to delete the thread so that that's not hanging out there. It sure did go off on cue. It was weird. Like the age of miracles is over, but it's awful weird whenever it shut down. And, you know, when I said it, like, I want to shut it down. When you're a newish Christian and are seeing long-term Christians doing things like social drinking missing Sundays and the place they attend is lacking eldership. How would you address that? Good. Oh, side note. They would be a friend of yours. You, Phillips, Philip S. Carmen, you, you go to them. That's a Galatians chapter six, verse one. And, uh, I think I butchered the quoting of it. So I'm going to go and read it since I got my little Testament out. Y'all. If, if there's anybody in your, in your life that you, that you love, um, and, 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 and that's understanding that you should love you 
get you a nice copy of the of God's word. Splurge a little bit. If you if you can't do anything else, put back $20 a month for the entirety of the year 2024 and in 2025 buy you a real nice copy of God's word if you can. And incidentally, you ain't got to put that much money back because um oh man, the Apologetics Press Bible. Uh their leather their leather copy, I I felt it and held it. Y'all, that's amazing. And they're selling that for 80 bucks. They should be selling that for $250. I almost wish they would, but I'm glad that I'm, I'm glad that many people are getting a copy of it. But anyway, I guess that's the, here, we'll do this. We won't, we won't, we won't hear a word from Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com. We'll hear a word from, uh, apologetics press, apologetics press, defending the faith, personal carry edition. $14 for one or $7 if you order 30 or more. And I think the only, the only, uh, one you can get in bulk now is that one on the left, which is a cardboard. Um, man, I, I can't wait. We've ordered 58 of them and I can't wait to get them in. All right. Uh, Oh, Ben Grady. Let me get you. I wanted to go get your notes and, uh, Philip S. Carmen. I'm going to get your, uh, I'm going to get your comment. Let me, let me put this back up on the board. All right. Now let me go to the chat. Where is that comment from Ben? Um, I saw it and I wanted to read it and I forgot about it. We got to think, how would we want to be addressed if we were wrong? Treat others as you'd want to be treated. Ben, I'm going to, I'm going to use you as an example real quick. You have a particular education and you've done some study that have kind of opened your eyes to some, to some very esoteric niche things that not a lot of people have been exposed to. And I would say that you probably have really close to, uh, uh, you're really close to, um, developing what's called, I believe it's called Cassandra syndrome. Cassandra is another character from Greek mythology, and she was blessed with prophecy, being able to see the future, but at the same time cursed that no one would ever believe what she said. And what I noticed from you is you're very adamant about your convictions and what you see on your platforms. And I don't, I don't know if it's because I don't notice it or Facebook doesn't show me, but what I don't see you do is I don't see you go to a lot of other people's platforms and, and try to get them told or enlighten them. In other words, uh, from what I see from you, you just kind of say here, here's what I've studied. Here's the truth. Uh, you, you sent me some stuff privately that, that I greatly appreciate, um, and again, I like, that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. Because if, if you, if you go into somebody's private message or if you go into somebody's Facebook timeline, that's talking about germ theory and talking about how they contracted, uh, the flu because of germs. And if you go in there and talk about, well, you know, the, the, the germs didn't cause the, the sickness, the sickness caused the germ or whatever. I, I, probably greatly misrepresenting the truth here, 
but they're going to clam up and they're not going to listen to you. Same way with same way with any time you try to convince somebody of something. If you're that well actually person, if you go offer the unsolicited advice, that is about the absolute best way to guarantee someone will not take what you say seriously or will not change their life at all based on what you say. The way you get a copy of the Apologetics Press Study Bible, Praveen, is you contact. My suggestion for you in India is you need to contact a congregation of the Lord's people in the United States and tell them that you would like to order some of these Bibles and you want to ship them from Apologetics Press. Well, this is how we're getting them in Canada. Um, we've partnered with the church in the United States. And Apologetics Press is sending our Bibles to that congregation, and that congregation is sending them to us because Apologetics Press is not set up to get Bibles overseas. But they would be written in English. They wouldn't be written in, in any of the native languages of India. I think Telugu is the main one. If you want to, if you want to contact for for a good contact for Bibles, um, need to need to holler at, at the Gudums, Ricky Gudum, Ronnie Gudum, and who else? Anyway, the Gudums. All right, uh, back to Philip S. Carmen, I believe. Hold on, yeah, right here. When you're a newish Christian or seeing seeing long term Christians doing things like social drinking, in other words, they're just not bought in. They're not doing what they're supposed to do, but they're a long term Christian. Um, Marlon Ratana as well. Oh, he said, "Oh wait, never mind." Yeah, I think Marlon Ratana. If if I were in Central and South America and I wanted I wanted a yeah, I would. You know what? For those of you who are in India. And if, if you want an English version of the of the Apologetics Press Study Bible, I would still partner with the Gudums because the Gudums will have contacts and they because what you're going to do if, if you're from India, here, here's the way it happens. And I'm telling you, I my my deal is I just don't accept private messages and friend requests from people that are outside the United States and Canada. Um that may I don't know. It's, it's, if 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 I don't know you personally, I just can't because my 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 friends list would be like 19,000 people long because here's what happens. Somebody from India or Nigeria or, uh, Uganda, uh, Guyana, I, I can think of about 10 different countries and it never fails. They'll send you a message and they'll say, good evening or good afternoon, brother in Christ and the Lord esteemed brother. I want to partner with you. And over the years, I was like, okay, well, what do you want? What do you got in mind? And it always ends up, well, we, we want money. We, we want you to send us something. Um, I'm not saying that that's what you're doing, but I'm just saying you've got a barrier. You've got a hurdle to overcome. Uh, my suggestion is contact the Gudums and tell the Gudums that you want to order some of these Apologetics Press Bibles. And you heard from me that they would be able to put you in contact with a local congregation in the States that would help you do that. Yes. Be very careful. Um, well, it's just like the, it's just like the person we had in the comments. Look, I'm talking about narcissism. Um, I, I know I'm a really, really good looking man. 
But when a strange woman comes in the live stream and tells you how cute you are and wants to, and wants you to send her a private message, y'all nine times out of 10, that's a dude. <laughs> and they just want some money. What's up? I think I see. Yeah. Well, Ted Knight. Good to see you, man. You've been busy lately. All right. Yeah. Wayne Voss has had it happen to me a lot. I know it. I mean, I listen, I know I'm good looking, but I ain't so good looking that I draw hundreds of women from all around the world wanting to get to know me. I ain't, I ain't, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's good looking as I am, <laughs> you know, Paul Peters, geez, talking about a nutsack. Huh? Okay. Are you talking about me? I mean, I hope you understand sarcasm when you hear it. All right. So Philip S. Carmen, the question that you asked, it's on the screen here. Here, here's the verse. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a chapter six, verse one. Oh, hello, James Stafford. All right. Bear with me. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Philip S. Carmen. Just go talk to that person. Uh, I remember what Tom Holland said. Tom Holland said in this situation, you, you go, you go to neutral ground. You don't take, and, and this is, you don't take the one up position. You don't come to them and say, listen, I'm, I'm concerned for you. And I'm just here to tell you just like if, if I remember one time somebody said, Hey man, won't you meet me at McDonald's at four o'clock and, and let's have an ice cream. I mean, listen, we never did go to McDonald's and eat ice cream. So I knew what, something was up and they just had something to talk to me about. And you know, we, we, it went from there. Uh, here, uh, in, in Canada, it's Tim Hortons. Like, Hey, let's, let's go meet at Tim's and let's have a coffee. And that's code for let's, let's go talk. Let's go hang out. And, and perhaps I've got something on my mind that's important to talk about. And, and as Tom Holland said it, you lean into it. You like, look, I'm not here as your judge. I'm here as your brother or sister. And you know, there's some issues that I'd like to discuss with you. And then you just discuss them, but be genuine. Don't discuss it from an accusatory standpoint. As Ben Grady said a while ago, think about how you would like to be on the receiving end of that conversation. And remember, always allow people to save face. Don't make them feel bad. Listen, my, my daddy said this about smokers long ago. You don't have to beat smokers over the head with the, with the negative aspects of their habit. Smokers are the most vilified, marginalized demographic of people in Western culture. And the only way that you can marginalize and vilify a subset of the population, such as smokers, is if they already feel bad for what they do. So if you're, if you're sitting there and you're talking if you're sitting there and you're talking to somebody and they, they aren't bought in, they're not living like they should. Um, they've got issues in their life, 
by virtue of the fact that they're there with you, there's a baseline of anxiety and they feel bad enough about what they're doing. You don't have to help them. So don't be accusatory. Be uplifting. Don't be judgmental. Be curious. You know, and and focus on one thing or else you're going to come off like you're gunny sacking. And what gunny sacking means is you uh, throughout like, um, that's it. Like putting salt on a womb. Um, Oh, I think he was talking about the fake profile. John X. Gotcha. Oh, wait a second. No, he says, geez, it's a talking nutsack. Oh, I think he's talking about me. Oh, Paul Peters. Interesting. All right. But anyway, um, Okay, good. Let me, oh, there's so much stuff going on that I want to bring out. All right, right here. So we're going to use Ted Knight. So uh, what was I saying? Philip S. Carmen. If any man be overtaken in a fault, don't be accusatory. They already feel bad. You ain't got to help them feel bad. Be curious, not judgmental. Gunny sacking. So uh, let's say that let's say that Ted Knight and I, um, let, let's say we've worked together. But, you know, they're just something about Ted that I don't like. I don't like the fact that he parts his hair to the left. I don't like the fact that he wears white sneakers. I don't like the fact that he in, embellishes his R's in a certain way. Now, I have no idea about any of this. This is just for instance. But then, let's say, because he's a human being and he's not the same as me, he does something else. That, and, and so I'm putting all of this stuff in a sack and I'm holding it. And so now, after the course of a year, I've got 15 or 20 things that aren't that big, that aren't really worth addressing, that I should have just let go, but I wanted to hold them in my sack. And then, let's say that Brother Ted does do something that that is a, is is legitimately offensive and transgressional to my boundaries. Oh, I put that in there. Now I'm going to him. And when I when I set Ted down to talk to him, I dump that whole sack out. Well, that's called gunny sacking and you'll overwhelm an individual that way. So with with what you um with what you said uh Phillips as uh, Philip S. Carmen I'm, I want to say Carmen, um, you listed several things. All right. So you're, you're seeing a long-term Christian doing things like social drinking, missing Sundays, and the place they attend is lacking eldership. So that's, that's three things. If that individual, that long-term Christian focus on one of them. So set them down and be like, Hey, um, you know, it's very important that we attend all the services of the congregation. Uh, is everything okay? Are you having to work late all the time? Is that is that why you can't come? Do, do you and your sweet wife need any help on, on Wednesday afternoons? I'm going to tell you, whenever LaBeth and I were, uh, when I was working secular work and she was working uh, for the Department of Human Services in Union City, Tennessee, it was very difficult for us, I mean, Wednesday nights were hard, y'all. And that's something I think as a gospel preacher, I take for granted. Y'all, Wednesday nights are hard on people. Wednesday night, Wednesday night, 
um, you get a group of people, you might have a fella come in on Wednesday night that just worked a 12 hour shift at the factory. He started at six. He got off at six. He come home. He had time to come in and clean and, and, and eat a bean and leave the house to come to work to uh, Bible study on Wednesday night. It's difficult. I see why people miss. It's not easy. And I think sometimes, especially vocational preachers, that's lost on them. I say that it's lost on me. Sometimes I forget about it. Todd Clifford had a good sermon about traditions and addressing Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. Anyways. Yeah, it's a good, yeah. I, I imagine Todd, Todd put out a good sermon. All right. So, but to, 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 to Carmen, I want to, I want to reiterate Ted Knight's comment here. If this is an entire congregation participating in this kind of living, you might want to seek another congregation if one is possible. And I, I, I get it. I agree with that right there. Um, oops, sorry. Well, I guess that was serendipitous. Ted Knight. I agree. And I don't attend there. Thanks, Tony. I just didn't know how to start that because at the end of the day, they know what they're doing is wrong and it's from a place of love. Yeah. And here's the thing. If you do now, this is a lesson we learned from Jesus. If you do every single thing, if we do every, if you do every single thing that you're supposed to do, there's a good chance it goes spectacularly bad. I mean, real bad. So anyway, uh, let me finish this. We're, we're, we're a little bit over, but that's fine. Uh, let's talk about this parasocial relationship. And then I do want to showcase two comments that are exactly what I'm talking about. A parasocial relationship is a one-sided connection in which an individual imagines a personal bond with someone in the public eye. In these relationships, one party develops unreciprocated feelings of closeness and familiarity with someone they have never met. The term was first coined in 1956 by sociologist Donald Horton and Richard Wall to describe the sense of false intimacy made possible by radio, television, and cinema. In this digital age, we are increasingly connected with media personalities, celebrities, and social media influencers through scene, through screens, says Melissa Gentry, uh, psychology doctorate, a clinical psychologist. She's based in um, Los Angeles. While these relationships can bring a sense of connection and admiration, they also have potential risk and impact on individuals' emotional well-being. And I think that's the thrust of what the podcast I want to convey today is these, and, and look, it, it's not that Facebook isn't real. It's not that you're not real, okay? Philip Phillips Carmen, I've never met her in real life. She's real. However, and I don't know where she is, but if I were to be transplanted, transplanted to her, her locale, in other words, if I was, if I, if, if me and my family were uprooted and we moved to where she is, and then we're part of the same congregation and we see each other on a weekly basis, we're going to have to build that relationship because regardless of how close a social media relationship gets to feeling real, 
regardless of how real it feels to us, it is not the same as an actual relationship that you build face-to-face interaction with someone. Like there's so much that's different. It doesn't mean it's any less important. It doesn't mean it's any less impactful, but it is different. And we have to understand that we have to, we will always be negatively affected by social media if we're never real about what social media actually is. And it is a parasocial environment where many times we see pictures and posts and stuff from folks that we're quote unquote friends with that it feels like we're building a relationship with them. But in reality, they're probably not thinking about us at all. That's where the parasocial aspect of it comes in. And again, I'm not saying there's not exceptions. I, I know I know of people who met on social media who got married and continued their marriage throughout, you know, they're still married, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not impactful. I'm not saying it is false. I'm just saying it's different. Nothing replaces eyeball to eyeball. You got to press the flesh, as they used to say. Um, on the campaign trail, you got to shake babies and kiss hands. Did you catch that? It's like watching a fireplace on the television. It looks warm, but it's not the real thing. Yes. Incidentally, Google this phenomenon called biofeedback. You can turn a, if you're cold, you can, you can, you can, you can watch images of warm places and you're, and your, um, your core temperature will rise. Oh, David James Stafford. I'm glad you commented that Nicole and I met online. We got close, but that happened because I traveled to see her and to be with her. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're, you're a testament of these relationships that you build on social media. They're, they're, they're real. They're not fake, but it ain't the same. Like you, you, you got to know Nicole in a whole new way. Once you drove to actually meet her. Once you took her out on a date, well, I mean, could, remember the first time you held hands with her? You don't get that on social media. One of the, one of the most wonderful things in the world is staring into the eyes of someone you love and seeing their reflection in them. You can't get that on social media. And I'm thankful for all of the followers. I'm thankful for all of the people that consume the content. I love and cherish every one of you, but I know that what we have is in this microcosm. It's in this little miniature universe called social media land. And we, we would have to do relationship building work whenever we, whenever we, if we ever started uh, living in proximity of one another. All right. So I'm going to read this little pack, a uh, little paragraph again from this militia gentry. 
In this digital age, we are increasingly connected to media personalities, celebrities, and social media influencers through screen. While these relationships can bring a sense of connection and admiration, admiration they, are, they also have potential risk and impact on individuals' emotional well-being. We did, Scott Beck, um, there ain't much that I can offer, and there certainly is, and there's even less I can promise. But if you and your sweet wife come to New Brunswick and you end up in Riverview, Moncton, or Dieppe, you won't have to pay for a hotel and you won't have to buy any food. And it's a wonderful place to come. It's a nice vacation destination. And incidentally, Todd Clippert is going to be holding a gospel meeting up here in May. And uh, I'm, I'm just saying you could you could come. It'd be a good time. Not May. I'm a dummy. I don't know when Todd Clippard's coming up here, <laughs> but you could come anyway. That's all I'm saying. Incidentally, that, that, that invitation is open to all. Um, we would, we would love to have you come. Now, I don't know if I could put everybody up that, that chose to come, but I promise you we could, we could help you out and, and all that stuff. And, and we would go to, we, we, I'm drinking Tim Horton's coffee right now. All right. What causes parasocial relationships? This is going to be a rather long podcast today. So if you got to dip out, dip out. And, and I understand parasocial relationships are typically driven by the, now catch it, perceived intimacy and familiarity that media personalities project publicly. This says Angela Ficken, a licensed independent clinical social worker based in Boston. According to Ficken and Dr. Gentry, several factors may contribute to the development of parasocial relationships, including social emotional needs. So engaging with a public figure may satisfy human need for interaction, says Dr. Gentry. We are wired for social connection and parasocial relationships offer a sense of belonging to a community, even from afar. Now, let me explain. I'm going to use what might be considered an inappropriate illustration here, but parasocial relationships are to your mental health and social development the same as watching pornography is to your sexual drive and sexual intimacy with your partner. It elicits all of the same biological responses, but it is not the same. And in the long run, it affects your ability to form meaningful connections. And I think that we assimilated this beast into our lives and we it was we, we just didn't know what we didn't know. Escapism. The act of imagining a relationship with a public figure may be a form of escapism, a distraction from boring or uneventful day to day, or fantasy, notes Dr. Gentry. Parasocial relationships can serve as an escape from daily challenge. Our challenges providing a sense of comfort and emotional support. Well, what what would be better to go on social media and and l talk to all your friends that you only know online? 
or actually do what the kids call today, get out there and touch grass. There's a song that goes around. Uh, my father told me one day, son, you'll leave this world behind. So lead a life you will remember. There's also a clip that has a cuss word in it, so I'm going to edit the cuss word out. But this this young man, these two young men are in the water. They're obviously stranded. They've been some kind of wreck. And they're in some kind of danger. And the one young man has Down syndrome. And he's telling his brother, you know, are we going to be all right? Or are we going to die? And this gets me emotional. The older brother says to his younger brother, of course we're going to die. But it's not about that. It's about doing a bunch of cool stuff people can write about when you're gone. Now, don't be a punk. Let's go. That's a relationship. Why, why would you try to escape the mundane of life on social media with these parasocial relationships? Why would you not get out there and touch grass? Lead a life you'll remember. When I'm in heaven, I want to think back fondly on all the times I barely survived. I want to look back fondly on all the risk that I took that paid off immensely. I remember the very first night that LaBeth held my hand. We were parked out in the apple field, and it was a harvest moon. It was You could read a book by the light of the moon. And we had a chaperone. But we were in the back of that truck, laid down, all of us laid down looking up at the stars. And we were not talking about anything romantic or anything like that. But our hands were next to one another. And she just reached over and she grabbed my hand. David Stafford, you don't get that developing a relationship on social media, do you, brother? You got to go drive to get that. Anyway, media exposure. Frequent exposure to media figures coupled with similarities in values, experiences, or beliefs fosters identification and emotional attachment. Again, this is where you're, you're looking at somebody on the internet and they're reflecting back to you, your values. So there's a sense of intimacy there, but those people don't know you. Not really. It doesn't have to be a media figure. It doesn't have to be somebody that you listen to online. It can be the 147 friends on your friends list that you talk to every day. And don't get me wrong, it's great to have those friends. But you'll never have a girl slide her hand over and hold your hand. Old Ted Knight can tell some stories about courting. You don't get that on social media. And I think about the friends that I've had, the friendships that I've developed in the past. Every mile was worth it. Yeah, boy. I guarantee every mile was worth it. Mm. I'm getting nostalgic, folks. I'm also getting emotional. Um, 
the friendships that I've had in the past. My cousin, so we found this gravel pit. And so naturally, we waited out. And it was about six foot deep. All right. Well, it was about 20 foot. So whenever you jumped, you had to kind of corkscrew and your behind would scrape the bottom and it was kind of muddy and nasty. So we swam in it and we took turns jumping off that cliff and that gravel pit. And my cousin took a, took a jump, not a dive, a jump. And he did the corkscrew and that joker come up yelling like something out of a horror movie. Have you ever seen those horror movies where there's a monster in the water and the monster has the the victim in its mouth and it's shaking it about and the victim's hollering and hooping. My cousin did that. Well, turns out whenever he jumped off that gravel pit, He landed on what we call a polywog, a catfish. And that spike went. Now, this part I may be making up because I experienced this as a child. I think it went in his butt cheek. And I mean, I remember it, it was it was rough. And he said that hurt. And if Austin Hoskins is still in the live stream, uh, he needs to go ask my cousin. Joe Kendall about that folks. You don't get memories like that from social media. We don't even know if our social media friends or who they say they are. Dude. Absolutely. Scott. I said this from the pulpit yesterday, uh, not yesterday, uh, Sunday talking about the wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whether it goeth nor whether it cometh. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. You know, you don't, you don't know whether or not I'm a Christian in good standing with God. You don't really know. And, and, and the people there don't like, I don't know if they're all in fellowship with God. I don't know what they do in their private time. I don't know whether or not they're, this is just one big game to them. And they don't know with me. We just, we, we just trust. We, we judge a tree by its fruits and we trust that everybody's on the up and up. And in the end, we let God sort it out. Some people make social media unsocial media. You got that right. All right. So when it comes to social media, for example, one 26 study of adolescents who followed celebrities and characters on Twitter found that the social media platform may foster a feeling of connection between teens and media figures. The study also found when a parasocial relationship is present, teens are more are more likely to learn something from these social media personalities. So it is not inherently bad. That's why live streams are so popular. Because I mean, you could watch a vi- I could I could dis- I could distill this this live stream down to a fifteen minute video. It wouldn't be near as entertaining. It wouldn't be near as fun to watch. And people wouldn't learn as much from it. Now, talking about narcissism, are you actually, do I think so highly of myself to think you're actually learning from me? That's a weird thought to me. There's people that think they're learning from me. Crazy. Y'all are, y'all are nut, nuts, nuts, nuts. So, all right. 
Uh, are parasocial relationships healthy? All right. Forming a bond with a public figure can be normal and even satisfy a need for companionship and social connection. In some ways, parasocial relationships can appear safer because there's no risk of rejection. And listen, a, a, a ship that never leaves the harbor, oh, it sails, but it never fulfills its purpose. But there's also no possibility for a mutual, reciprocal relationship, says Angela Amias, a licensed clinical social worker and the clinical director of the Institute for Trauma-Informed Relationships in Iowa City, Iowa. These superficial relationships lack intimacy and vulnerability, add Amias. And, and I, I think that's the reason why parasocial relationships are so popular is because humans are adverse to being vulnerable. We don't like to be vulnerable. And you know what? Um, I mean, it, my wife and I, we've been married 24 years now. And I still get a little bit of anxiety when it comes to uh, asking her if she wants to do something. I mean, there, there, uh, it's, 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 it's very easy for me at my 24th year of marriage to be vulnerable with my wife, it's easier than it was in my second year of marriage, but it's still not easy. And that's, that's another reason why these parasocial relationships are so popular is because again, they're, they're not a real relationship. They, they tick all the boxes. They, they make us feel certain ways, but they're just not the same. Enjoy them, but don't be deluded about what they are. And I will tell you that everybody that's in this live stream, I, I want to go. Like, let, let's go. Let's make a, I mean, don't have enough money to do it, but I'd love to have a meet and greet. I thought it was cool when, when Digital Bible Study was up and cranking. I thought it was cool what y'all did in Gatlinburg. And Jonathan and Eric were talking about trying to do an actual event somewhere that was nothing but for the digital Bible study uh, family. And because again, all of that is a parasocial relationship and there's nothing wrong with it. That's a healthy thing. And then what you do is you have these meet and greets and out of the parasocial relationship, you have real relationships coming out of it. I need to, I need another way to say that. I don't want to juxtapose parasocial relationships with real relationships. We'll just say social relationships, social relationships versus parasocial relationships. Both are real. Both serve a purpose. Both are good in their own way. And both can be negative, quite frankly, in their own way. Some latch on to people they never met, like the sports world now with Taylor Swift. You've got that right. And um, Ben Grady says there's nuance to be had, especially with condensed posts or comments. Emotions cannot necessarily be seen or expressed in completion without being together. Absolutely. And that's a perfect segue. I'm going to finish this article, but that's a perfect segue into showing you the example and what spawned this whole uh, line of thinking. So here's the risk of parasocial relationships. According to Forbes Health, 
Parasocial relationships may be a source of comfort, though they are not without risk. People may become overly invested in the lives of media figures, leading to emotional attachment and potential disappointment if the figure behaves differently than the projected persona. That is why if you don't do something that a person who has developed a parasocial relationship with you thinks you ought to do, that's why cancel culture is so bad. That's why people come at you. I had a fella call me one time when I was preaching at Bay Church of Christ. And he called me and he asked, he, he said, I've been listening to you. You're amazing. You're so smart. Talk about flattery. And he said, um, he asked me a question. I can't remember what the question was. And I told him the answer in about 10 seconds. And he said, that's amazing. In, in 10 seconds, you, you, you explained and, and, and cleared up what it took Guy in Woods just about a whole chapter in his commentary to write. And of course, I was like, well, <laughs> you know, I, Guy in Woods probably went into it a little deeper than I did. But I, I wouldn't, I don't believe I'd challenge Guy in Woods on this. I happen to believe what he says is correct. And this dude just kept singing my praises. And I was like, so this is a parasocial relationship. Uh, he had he had built me up as something in, in his in, in, built me up in his head as something I'm not, and I just you mark it. It won't be very much longer. Where as as staunchly as this guy is supporting me and singing my praises, now he's going to be out there. If I do one wrong thing in his mind, he's going to be out there saying how terrible I am. And sure enough, one thing he didn't agree with. And he's taking screenshots. He's running my name down and stuff like that. And I'm like, there it went. Who called it? Uh, well, we had a guy not too long ago, this guy that would come into the live stream named Michael. And he doted and doted. And I, I, I told him, I, and I, I did this on, on live air. I said, now, you, you remember what you're saying now. So whenever I make you good and mad because I teach something you don't agree with, You'll remember how much you like me now, and maybe you'll stick around. It didn't work. He's gone, and he's saying I'm a false teacher, and I'm going to hell, and, and this, that, and the other. But that's the risk of parasocial relationships is because they're not – you don't act in a way – that is commensurate with their idea of who you are is. We should realize many times celebrities have social media teams. You got that right. They have a social media team that handles the account. And uh, John Exum says uh, that can lead to what the church in Corinth was doing in following preachers. I'm a servant, not a celebrity. That, Jonathan, that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I think yeah that that that's a that's an example of a parasocial relationship, and I, I see it happen with preachers, you know. Um, well, I, John Shannon, I have heard some of the worst things about a person you could ever hear said about John Shannon, and I'm like, if you knew him, you would never say that, but you don't know him. You just know the persona and you have an image in your head of who you think he is. And because he didn't do something where you thought he should have, 
then that image is shattered. So now your parasocial relationship is defunct and it makes you angry. All right. At its most severe, a parasocial relationship can also exist where an individual is unable to distinguish between a one-sided interaction and a genuine one. This is known as erotomania, an uncommon mental health condition defined by an individual's false belief that someone, usually a person of high status, such as a celebrity or politician, is in love with them. And I think you could back that off a little bit, not necessarily in love, but in, 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 a, in a relationship of deep abiding mutual respect. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, well, no, I'm not comfortable with that. I'll say this. Apologetics Press. If I said, well, you know, I'm, I know Kyle, Butt and I'm, I'm friends with Kyle, Butt." that's, you know, that's not really true. He's my brother in Christ. He knows me or he knew me back in the day. I knew him back in the day. It was very surprising. The first time I saw him, um, after I came back to the fold, it was while I was in preaching school and it was the first polishing the pulpit that I attended. And it was shocking and quite frankly, a little bit embarrassing that he recognized me because if he recognized me, that means he remembered the person I used to be. Now I could take that and I could, I could leverage that. I could name drop. I could, but, but that would be on the same level as this erotomania. Although Kyle, Butt knows me well enough to, to, to recognize me on site. He doesn't know me, know me, and I don't know him, know him. We've had some good conversations through private message. But the relationship we have, like we don't even have a parasocial relationship because I know that boundaries there, you know? So anyway, something to think about. Um, what way, here, here's ways to avoid parasocial relationships. Parasocial relationships are not inherently unhealthy. Problems arise when parasocial relationships start interfering with real-life relationships or an individual's mental well-being. And that's where I think some of this Facebook stuff goes. Uh, that reminds me of a Dr. Phil segment uh, in which a woman thought she was Eminem's daughter. It was not the case, but she continued to believe her lie. Yes, oh, John Exum. Yeah, that's, um, I've seen some of those and I've, I've, mm, it's spooky, isn't it? To, to like, yeah, it's crazy. Somebody that's that delusional. Okay. Social media often portrays only a curated glimpse into somebody's life. I believe uh, Scott Beck alluded to this when he says, we don't even know if the people we interact with on social media are actually the people we interact with on social media. So all, all you get of my life is a curated glimpse into it. Well, Ficken, this doctor, says, uh, noting that maintaining this perspective may help you keep grounded while consuming media. In other words, understand, like, I don't know what's going on in Hannibal, Missouri, just because I see John Exum's timeline. 
I don't know what's going on in Arkansas with Ted Knight just because I, and Ted Knight writes a lot. He puts out a lot of stuff in writing. And incidentally, some of that stuff I steal and I turn it into articles. I probably ought to give him credit in the byline in the article. But anyway, um, I hope he's listening. I hope he knows I steal from him. I've only ever given him credit a few times. But uh, but anyway, yeah, back to back to back to parasocial relationships. Um, if if we understand that what we are seeing is the tip of the iceberg, then we'll be way more forgiving and long suffering whenever something doesn't jive with our preconceived notion. All right. So one may also benefit from making an effort to stay connected to people in their daily life. Small interactions with clerks, neighbors, co-workers provide a sense of true back-and-forth engagement, focusing on these moments of genuine interaction and being willing to share oneself and listen to others is the best way to avoid a parasocial relationship. Go find the liar's bench in your city. And I'm not uh, liar's bench. A liar's bench is, yeah, your brain the brain is a God-given marvelous mystery to me. Absolutely. So go go to your town and go find where the old men gather in the morning. They gather somewhere. In Bay, it was a little hamburger shop across the road. Uh, in in uh, Jonesboro, you could go to one of a few different uh, fast food joints that sold a senior coffee. Um, Around here, you can go to just about any Tim Hortons and you can find a, a place in the morning where the old men gather. Just go sit down and just just get your coffee and sit down amongst them and keep your mouth shut for a while and listen and interject sparingly. And it won't be very long to where you're assimilated into that group and they'll actually be including you in the conversation as long as you don't prove yourself to be a complete idiot. All right. All the old guys gather at Hardy's. Cool beans. Hey, hey, Alabama. Man, I ain't had Hardy's in a minute. All right. So let me go in here and I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to give you an example of, so I, well, first off, let me, where is it at? I know I can't find it. Where, oh, where? Yeah, right here. So I shared from church of Christ, biblical studies. Oh, Ben Grady, maybe cognitive dissonance kicks in with this as well. I don't know why it's so hard to even challenge our existing beliefs. We can't even consider that something may be wrong uh, uh, <clears throat> other than what we perceive to be or have been led to believe. That's, yeah, well, that, that does play uh, has, has a lot to do with it. Ben, you made a comment that I said was a good segue right here. All right. There's nuance to be had, especially with condensed posts or comments. Emotions cannot necessarily be seen or expressed in completion without being, to, without being together. In other words, 
face to face. So here's here's the post that I shared from Church of Christ Biblical Studies. When your preacher starts praising false teachers by posting quotes from people like C.S. Lewis, Max Lucado, Charles Spurgeon, John MacArthur, etc., it's long past time to get a new preacher. Now, when I read that, here's, here's how I filtered it through my head. Well, they're obviously not talking about quoting things that are true and acknowledging things that are true regardless of the source. What they have to be talking about is when you've got a when you've got a preacher who fancies himself to be a Bible scholar and he drinks indiscriminately from the well, but then he shares with no caveat whatsoever memes and quotes from known false teachers, people who are not sound in the faith. Then it's time for a new preacher. And it's a hyperbolic statement that's general. So I ran it through those, I ran it through that filter. I mean, I've quoted Vody Balkum. I've quoted Charles Spurgeon. I've never quoted Max Licato. I have talked about John MacArthur and how he responded to the COVID mess. I don't think I've ever quoted C.S. Lewis with the exception of talking about the worm tongue papers. What are they called? Worm tongue papers? That don't sound right. Not worm. Anyway, the chat helped me out. But (laughs) hey, hey, Alabama says, boy, howdy, did that set off a firestorm? Might as well have said leggings aren't pants. Ain't that the truth? And incidentally, ontologically speaking, leggings are not pants. It's a logical fallacy. Leggings are leggings. Pants are pants. If leggings were pants, then pants would be called leggings and leggings would be called pants. Or there wouldn't be an ontological classification for the two. Anyway, um, yeah, I've gotten myself in trouble a lot before just saying regular things. Now, here's what I said when I shared it. I said, I've been saying this for years, and for years I have been ridiculed over it. Why drink from poison wells? Now, there's even, so this is nuance on top of nuance, and I admit it, I should have known better because Facebook is where long-suffering, benefit of the doubt, and nuance comes to die. And the sad thing is, other Christians killed it. I've been hammered on generalities I've posted. I shared it uh, I shared it through exactly one light, but again, there's nuance. I'm not speaking in absolutes, absolutely. And, and I think people know that in their gut, man. I just think they like to argue. Anyway, um, so the drink from poison wells is a reference from the book of Proverbs and about drinking from don't drink from another man's well. I believe it's Proverbs chapter two. Uh, I'm not going to get into it, but, but I'm my, my, my thing has always been, if I've got the option of two scholars, one scholar is a member of the Lord's church who's sound in the faith and another scholar who is not, even, even if both of those scholars agree, 
my matter of judgment, the way I would handle that is I'm always going to quote the scholar that is, that is sound in the faith. And I would never, ever, ever share a meme or a quote from a known false teacher with no caveat. Again, I've shared memes and quotes from Vody Bauckham. And I have said, this man is not a New Testament Christian. He actually denies the plain and simple message that Peter would have delivered, that Peter delivered on the day of Pentecost. Same way with Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon is considered to be the prince of preachers in the Baptist church. He missed Ned and the first reader. And my, 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 my position has always been, we need to study these people and figure out what they say and what they're teaching because the masses study these people and believe what they say and teach. But me, as a mature Christian, studying for the sake of understanding the enemy, a false teacher, is a far cry different from a freshly converted 17-year-old young man going to Max Licato and reading his work because I shared something that Max Licato said was true with no caveat. So this this kid goes into Max Licato's work thinking that it's good and his level of ability to discern is much lower than mine. And I have done something then to harm that young man's faith. So my question is why? Why would we want to do it? I was told Paul taught from the people from time to time when he talked to those on Mars Hill. I don't think he was doing that to teach them Jesus. Yeah, so that's another, the odd thing whenever, so here's the thing, this talking about the nuance. Neither my statement nor the Church of Christ Biblical Studies statement is this. No one at any time in any place should share anything other than from a source who of a scholar that gets 100% of things right 100% of the time. And that's the way people that's the way people argued against it. In fact, I went to the Church of Christ Biblical Studies and and looked at the original post and in their comment section, it was the same way. And in my comment section, and I, I've, I've blocked like four or five people. But I'm like, what are you doing coming into my comment section? And you're, you're straw manning. You're, you're arguing against something that I never said. I never said that if you quote John MacArthur, you need to be fired from your job as a preacher. And neither did the Church of Christ Biblical Studies say that. It's when you start praising and endorsing false teachers through your actions that you need to reconsider what you're doing. Now, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that statement? I want to know. Well, we sing the songs in the songbook, and that's that's different. If you if you can't see how that's different, then you're just too stupid to live. You need to you need to go to Mars and the moon or somewhere and find a rock to live under. I mean, just come on, people. Now, 
So I, I shut them down. I ain't messing with that. And so lo and behold, the way back machine, uh, a meme that I shared back in 2020, if the only time you feel inspired to engage your brother in Christ publicly is to critique them, you, my friend, are trolling. Folk can be out here changing the world and you scroll past all of their work completely unmoved until you disagree. Then you come alive. Troll. All right. So here's what I said about this in 2020. This is 100% truth. There have been folk who have never talked to me at all, nor interacted with my work online, who only come out of the woodwork to argue and critique. My rule for these is to delete and ban. It would be funny if it were not so sad. If I defend my position with which they disagree, then I am combative and argumentative. But if I delete their dissenting comment and ban them from interacting with me or seeing my content, then I am a coward who posts things without the intelligence or backbone to defend them. Sadly, it's not just me. I see this behavior from many who claim Christendom. And more so from folk who say they are gospel preachers. The preachers are the worst by far. I stopped sharing a few really good quotes uh, from some after it came out that they had been unfaithful with prostitutes after their death. Now I try to do it. Now I try not to do it at all for the reasons you stated. Well, hey, hey, Alabama, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So that's what I said in 2020. Now, here's what I said when I shared it yesterday. Still pertinent. Why do folk get so mad at me when I don't? Now, I admit, I, I made this a little personal. Why do folk get so mad at me when I don't validate them and their position with which I disagree? I have been told how popular and influential I am. I have always thought that that was a foolish notion, but the more folk who are complete strangers to me get so wrapped up and involved in my platform and brand, it makes me rethink that maybe I'm as influential as I've been told. I probably should have put a LOL, but the next paragraph, I don't think so though. I just think the baseline for what passes as men nowadays is weakness. If you are strong enough to let someone disagree with you in their own house, you are miles ahead of the bulk of what passes for Christian men today. And I stand by that 100%. If I see something on the internet from a social media friend and it's wrong, if it's not damnable, I'm not going to do anything. If it is damnable, I'm going to go to that person in private if I go to them at all. Because it may be that I don't even know them well enough to go to them in private. Yep. Where's the edification? Where's the approval and positive on the, on the things that they agree with? Instead, it all goes ignored and they come to aggressively smear or have their say on every post that they dis disagree with. Absolutely. Now, let me give you a perfect example. Now, again, this one, I'm, I'm going to leave this up because 
at least this this one isn't as bad. I'm I don't know. I may delete it. I don't know. I don't think it's nefarious. I don't I don't know this person from Adam's uncle. They're my Facebook friend. I get it. But I'm going to read their comment. I'm going to read you my reply. Sadly, we are told by the Lord himself to correct those in error. But so often when we do, we are accused of judging others. Even when the correcting is done in as loving a manner as possible, these accusations are made. The worst part is the hypocrisy demonstrated by such comments where people judge others for judging them. If judgment is wrong, but it isn't, it is wrong on both sides. While I admit that these efforts at correction do sink into ugliness at times, it is also true that such ugliness is in the eyes of the beholder. Some people simply do not want to be corrected, even if such correction is an effort to save their immortal soul. So again, I, there, there's a couple ways I could take this. Now, if I if I interpreted it regularly, like just neutral, this is a veiled accusation against me, the 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 original poster, to say that I just don't want to be corrected. It's a veiled accusation of hypocrisy. Like, do you understand what you're affirming by what you're saying here? And this is the problem. Listen, I'm going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and I'm going to go to it and read it because I want to make sure I get it right. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. So Paul is talking to Timothy about people like this. They desire to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they say, and they don't even know what they're affirming by what they say. This this dude that wrote this, he doesn't realize that he is affirming by what he's saying, at least through implication. It is reasonable to infer that he is accusing me of my mortal soul being in need of salvation, He's accusing me of hypocrisy, just simply not liking to be judged and judging in return. And he's accusing me by implication. It's reasonable to infer this, that I just don't like to be corrected, which means that I'm wrong in the first place. So what, what's your, what's your response there? Well, my response is simple and it's short. I said, nowhere in scripture is anyone told to correct strangers with whom one has made no effort to build a relationship nor even rapport. In fact, we are to mind our own business. And I copy and paste 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. Now, again, this sadly is as bad as this comment is. It's relatively innocuous, but I will give you another one here. And this is, this is from the one that went on. I mean, this dude just, he wouldn't leave it alone. And again, I mean, he was trolling. That's all it is. He says, Tony, I see a whole lot of ugliness from those who claim to be preachers, but I've never understood deleting or banning comments, nor do I get blocking folks. 
I've had Christians insult me over a post and then block me so I couldn't reply black reply back. They are straight up cowards. I used to engage with everyone. Now sometimes I leave the ugly comments and either let someone else handle them or I just leave them for display to show people what lurks in the shadows. We come off looking cowardly when it appears to others we can't be disagreed with. The best way to deal with ugly is to let it hang out for all to see and don't respond. That just kills them. He did say LOL, but he did tell me later that he included LOL to take away some of the bite and to let let me know he's not mad. Well, that's mighty nice of him. This is one of the worst, most egregious examples of hubristic, narcissistic arrogance. Who do you think you are? Now, listen, now you may not, you may have missed it, but listen to the propositional statement, the propositional language. Um, we, now this is the editorial we, but what he means is you. That's, that's what the editorial we means. We come off looking cowardly when it appears to others we can't be disagreed with. Folks, the implication there is I look like a coward because it looks like I cannot be disagreed with. I would have respected him more if he would have just said, Tony, you do look cowardly when you do this because you come off as somebody who's just petulant and can't be disagreed with. I I would respect him more if he'd have said that. (laughs) It's a long fall from being full of self to being empty after realizing we are nothing without God. Yeah, it is. Example, Acts 18.26. Why do I know 18.26? Is that... I know the... I don't know the verse. Oh, yeah, they took Aquila and Priscilla. They took him off by himself. Yeah. Yeah, Aquila and Priscilla corrected Apollos. They didn't do it publicly. All right. So he, here's, here's what I replied back to this fella. Oh, and, and incidentally, he says, the best way to deal with ugly is to let it hang out for all to see and don't respond. Okay, so like that that's a proposition. And that's not just you disagreeing with me and saying, I think you're I think my opinion is is better than yours. That's you're objectively less than and your way is objectively not as good as my way. Folks, that's narcissistic. So here, here's what I replied. I'm not, and, and, and my reply is pretty much what the sword and pearl just said. Nope. Why should we tolerate toxicity? Don't give the devil an inch. That's probably, I should have said that instead of what I said, and it wouldn't have been as long as drawn out, but that, that, that's, that's what I meant with my comment here. I'm not going to allow my platform to be used by folks like that. Matthew 11, 16, 17, 18, 19. 
But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It's like the children sitting in the markets and calling their fellows saying, we've piped and you didn't dance and we mourned and you didn't lament. John came neither eating nor drinking. And you said he was demented. I came eating and drinking. And you said I was a wine bibber and a glutton. There's no pleasing you. That That's the idea. And, and that's why I act the way I act on Facebook. And I, I block these people and delete their comments because there's no pleasing them. The only thing that would have satisfied this person is if I'd have said, you know, you're right. And I think I'm going to rethink what I do. That is the only thing that would have satisfied him. Either that or me not saying anything and me allowing his comment to stand in opposition of mine with no defense. But you see, I defended myself. And so he didn't like it. So he, he fights back. Of course, he says he didn't want to. He says he didn't want to argue. And my question is, then why are you arguing? So here we go. I said, folk are going to think what they're going to think. My rule is if you only stick your head up to dissent, then you no longer have access to me. It is the height of foolishness, weakness, and it is indicative of a narcissistic, codependent, weak person to be a keyboard warrior on social media. Besides which, the only people we come off looking cowardly to is cowards themselves. So I don't mind. And then I put first Thessalonians four, 11 and 12. His reply. Well, I could exhaust a lot of time saying I disagree with you, but I'd just be wasting both of our days. And why are you here? Seriously. It's unhealthy. It's codependent. It's narcissistic. It's hubristic. Then why are you here? I don't like the keyboard warriors, but like I said, I love to leave them hanging. They can't stand that. LOL. What I, what I must say I don't understand is why you hate dissent so much. Th- this is where this parasocial interaction comes in. First off, he, he, he's not dealing with me fairly or honestly, and this is where he starts strawmanning. I never said I hate dissent. I love dissent. If you you don't feed the trolls, absolutely. I fed this one. I fed this one and I let him grow bigger and bigger and bigger till folks could actually see because I knew I was going to be doing this episode and I wanted a good example to showcase what I was talking about. Um, but he built this straw man up. Now, listen, I love dissent. The favorite thing, my favorite thing is to have people argue with me who are who are validated enough and confident enough in themselves to where we can actually argue because whenever you have somebody around you in your circle that can argue with you like that, then in your friend group, only the best ideas and viewpoints stick around. That's why free speech is so important. I love dissent, but if you only ever offer a dissent, that is an indication that you have zero respect for the person to whom you are offering a dissent. I'll I'll go back to John Exum. John Exum and I have sat at supper together. John Exum and I could have, I don't know what he believes about the gift of the Holy Ghost, but John Exum and I, I could have him on the show 
and we could have a one-hour-long argument about the gift of the Holy Ghost. Dude, Labeth, <laughs> yeah, we, we talk about it, Scott. Like, yeah, there, I'm like, oh, man, these people. Poor Labeth, she must see these narcissistic people you deal with and feel the need to diagnose them. Yeah, and, and I, 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 say, I said I'm agreeing with that. I agree with the humor, humor hyperbolic part of that. She doesn't feel the need to diagnose, uh, but, but we do, we talk about it and, and it's yeah. Interesting conversations in our house. Um, but so this is the straw man. I love dissent, but if all you ever do is show up to dissent, then that's indicative of your hubristic narcissism and your lack of respect. That's the idea. Um, all right. What I must say, I don't understand is why you hate dissent so much. So that's an accusation. He is accusing me, whether he thinks he is or not, of hating dissent, which is which is a position I have never ever taken. I would love to I talked to I, Drew Leonard and I disagree on a bunch of stuff and we talked about we just we couldn't get together to do it. We talked about uh, making a podcast called We Be Brethren and just getting together and arguing about the things we disagree about. But two things. One, it was hard to fit into our schedule with what we're already doing. And and this was years ago, by the way. And two, honestly, we didn't think some of the brethren could handle it. We didn't think we didn't think it, we didn't think some of the brethren could handle it. All right. So anyway. I don't understand why you hate dissent so much. Well, I, I don't hate dissent. I love it. It's a natural part of life. Now, listen to this. This is virtue signaling. I wrote that article about the four horsemen of disunity, and he hits them all. So here, first off, he straw mans. I don't understand why you hate dissent so much. And now he's virtue signaling. I learned from folks dissenting with me. And it gives you an opportunity to meet arguments that need to be met. Granted, there's a time when it has to end. But a little dissent just helps with the message sometimes. Recall that Marshall Keeble, the greatest modern preacher among us, used to start off his meetings asking for dissent so he could meet the arguments of false teachers. Folks, that is absolutely different. If someone pops in that I've never heard of just to make a smart or rude comment for the sake of arguing, I reply a few times and then block them. They don't comment anywhere else anyway. You got that right, hey, hey, Alabama. And I don't mind disagreement. I do mind the accusations and the rude things. Absolutely. And, and again, I don't mind disagreement from people who have developed a relationship with me. And if you've never developed a relationship with me, there's still a way to come in and disagree. There's still a way to come in and be like, Hey, I don't agree with what you've said here. And, and perhaps you can develop a relationship with somebody like that, but this is not that. All right. Now. So he, 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 he straw mans and he virtue signals. And he, he talks about Marshall Keeble, the greatest. In other words, don't you want to be like Marshall Keeble? I'm like Marshall Keeble because I do what Marshall Keeble does. That's virtue signaling, folks. And it's also posturing. 
Anyway, my response was, was pretty short. I said, you need to read, read the post. You're missing the point and you are straw manning. I said, what you are doing is the equivalent of folks saying, if money is the root of all evil, then why do churches ask for it? You've written two lengthy posts that have almost nothing to do with me or anything that I've ever said. And that's the truth. And he says, my only points are, one, yes, I agree that there are trolls and sometimes we do have to rid ourselves of them. Two, sometimes dissent can be good. I'm afraid I don't understand the point of the, if money is the root of all evil, how am I straw manning? I am simply saying some dissent can be normal and good. Well, that's how he's straw manning because I'm not saying that all dissent is abnormal and bad. I'm saying that if all you do is poke your head into dissent, I'm blocking you and deleting your comment. That's it. He is taking that and extrapolating from it something that I've never, ever affirmed or something I've never, ever said, nor no, something I've never even affirmed by what I said. He goes, I really didn't intend to get into it. Just give my two cents because, hey, it's your page, LOL. Folks, it just keeps getting worse. And I said, my suggestion is to make sure you are more informed before you comment. Again, I know you don't understand the point. Show me where I have ever said all dissent is bad. And of course he, he doesn't. He says, Tony, I don't know if I want to really argue with you lest I become a troll myself. Well, it's too late. You're already a troll. LOL. But you did make reference to those who only stick their head up to dissent. My comment is some folks are like that. They only speak up as, as if they disagree. I said, yet here you are poking your head in to disagree. And then now he's, he's projecting. He said, well, is that wrong? I mean, yeah, it is. It's not what I said. I said, you have become a troll. And then he said, well, just for that, I won't let you pass under my bridge, LOL. I said, you post a lot about narcissists and narcissism. Perhaps you need to study a bit more and figure out how to do better. He says, brother, I'm not going to fall out with you. I said what I said, and I stand by it. If you disagree, no harm done, no hurt feelings on this end. Well, maybe, I said, maybe you need to take inventory and not be so arrogant and self-important. It is grand that you are now projecting this onto me, which is what he's doing. So now, like, he's in my house, uninvited, arguing with me, and he's saying, well, if you, if you want to argue, that's on you. No, all, all, all that has to be done here is you stop typing. Now, remember, I would have blocked him way sooner than this, but I knew I was going to be doing this program today. I said, show me how you don't want to have a falling out and prove me wrong by apologizing for coming in and admonishing me over something I have never said or even alluded to. And he says, Tony, I think you're coming down a bit hard on me. Well, he would think that because he's probably never been challenged in this way. I simply said, I disagreed with your policy on dissent. Nothing more. It's your page operated as you want. I'm not the least bit mad at all for somebody who's not offended or angry 
or trying to push an agenda. He sure talks about not being offended, angry, or pushing an agenda quite a bit. He said, I'm not projecting anything. I'm simply saying I disagreed with you. I'm not admonishing you because you've done no wrong. I simply disagreed. My response, wrong. You didn't simply say you disagree with my policy on dissent. You also do not know my policy on dissent. And the reason I said that is because he said, I, he, he said, I don't understand why you think all dissent is bad. Well, I, I don't, I don't think all dissent is bad. I said, you came in admonishing me on a high horse acting in the same manner as the trolls that prompted the comment in the first place. He says, Tony, what I read appeared to be your policy. Look, I don't want to fight over this. I simply stated my feelings, which you were not obligated to accept. I said, and I am telling you that is not what you did. Either you are ignorant or you are trolling. I'm not sure which is worse. However, if you don't want to fight, maybe step away from the keyboard and stop fighting. Hmm. So now I don't know what I'm doing. And he says, H-M-M-M. Hmm. So now I don't know what I'm doing, but let's not call names. I just don't get into that. I said, why are you still commenting? You are a troll. Move on. This all started because I disagreed with you. As I keep asking in so many ways, why is that a big deal? So there's that barb. He's putting it on me. You're not putting this on me. You're the one that is in my house and you're commenting. Why are you commenting? I said, now you are trying to gaslight. And this is where the gaslighting starts. It started when you wouldn't let it go. Let it go. Go troll somewhere else. Why are we many times very quick to assume the worst or assume an absolute, especially in relation to a brother or sister in Christ? Absolutely. And again, I remember the, 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 the comment that he made is highly accusatory. And again, I don't know if he's just ignorant to that fact, which I don't think he's ignorant to that fact because he's a newspaper editor. He knows how words work. He knows, or he should know about prose and, and how to convey a message and how to say things without saying them. I see a whole lot of ugliness from those who claim to be preachers, but I've never understood deleting and banning comments. All right, there's nothing wrong there. Nor do I get blocking folks. Okay, that's your choice. I've had Christians insult me over a post and then block me so I couldn't reply back. They are straight up cowards. Nothing to disagree with there. So in those lines, he said nothing propositionally to disagree with. All right. I used to engage with everyone. Now, sometimes I leave the ugly comments and either let someone else handle them or I just leave them for display to show people what lurks in the shadows. Again, self, uh, 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 self-supporting, nothing to argue with there. Now he switches to the editorial we, and that editorial we includes me. We come off looking cowardly. That's the exact same thing rhetorically as saying, Tony, you come off looking cowardly when it appears to others you can't be disagreed with. That's why you use the editorial we to take some of the bite 
off of an accusation. That's where that's where it goes from. You just come in offering a dissent to now you are accusing and you're admonishing. This is an admonition. Tony, you come off looking cowardly when it appears that others to others that you can't be disagreed with. That's an admonition. The best way, and this is another admonition, the best way to deal with ugly is to let it hang out for all to see. Tony, your policy is not good. You should change it. That's what that says. All right. Anyway, Sword and Pearl says, good for you. Good for, ah, Tony, I can't see. Good for you having solid boundaries. I appreciate that. All right. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna... to. So he, his reply after the gaslighting, gaslight means that I would be trying to convince you something that didn't happen. Well, the definition of gaslighting is broader than that. You are trying to convince me of something that is not true. You were trying to, to convince me that what I know to be the truth is in fact a fantasy. The word gaslighting comes from a, it's an old, old movie. And this, this man, this predatory man would turn the, the knob on the gas for the lights down. And it, it caused this woman to go crazy. It was one of the things that caused her to go crazy because she was like, well, what, what's going on here? Uh, why are the lights dim? And he would be like, honey, the lights are not dim. It must be your eyes. So gaslighting was coined and it's, it's got a, it's got a clinical definition. And quite frankly, the clinical definition even is, is broad, but I'm using it the way it's intended to be using whenever he's telling me that he's not admonishing me. Like I'm telling him, look, you came in and this original po- that not the original post, but the, 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 the original comment that you made, it's accusatory and it admonishes me and it's a position that I do not hold. And I know it's a position because you straw manned because you made the statement. I don't understand why you, um, well, what, what did he say? I don't understand why you hate dissent so much. Okay. So I, I don't hate dissent, but yet he's, he's treating me as if I do that's gaslighting. Okay. All right. So he says, gaslighting means that I would be trying to convince you of something that didn't happen. Well, but you can go back up to my original post and see that it did start simply because I offered a dissent. And like, here's the thing. Is he so deluded from this parasocial relationship that he thinks he's telling the truth here? Or is he being nefarious and is he just trying to get somebody ginned up so he can clutch his pearls and stand back and say, look, there's the bad guy because I'm going to give him that opportunity in a moment and I'm going to read it. I said, right here, this is where he's going to step back and he's going to pearl clutch and everything will be about what I said that he's clutching pearls over as opposed to the, to the issue of him coming in here and coming in on his high horse and accusing me of being 
of coming off as cowardly and unable to be disagreed with. He said, honestly, I'm continuing to comment because I'm a bit shocked by your behavior here and the accusations. We are not enemies, at least not on my side. Well, that means, yes, we are enemies on your side. That's why you came in. You see, I happen to know that you're pretty close friends with at least one of the people that I blocked. And I know you talk to him a lot. Now, I could be crazy. I could just be conspiratorial. But I don't think it's an accident. Because you never comment on stuff on my timeline, relatively speaking. Whenever you comment, it's typically in in the We Talk Truth group or other another place, but it's not on my personal post. Anyway, we're not enemies, at least not on my side. I made a simple comment. No, you didn't. We've already been over that. A dissent. And then he goes, how about you let that go? You see how he's taking and he's changing, he's projecting it onto me? Now he's telling me, you just need to let it go. No, 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 I'm not going to let this go. No, you're in my house. Now, but for the fact I knew I was going to be doing this show and this live stream, I would have blocked you at the first comment. But I wanted to shine a light on this, and I wanted a good example of what what I've been talking about over the years. So my reply You are gaslighting. Good grief. Again, go somewhere else. Bother someone else. You did not make a simple comment, a dissent. That is where you are gaslighting. I'm telling you, you did more than that. You keep commenting. It's sad. Why can't you just move on? You are exactly the type of troll the OP is about. You can prove me wrong and move on, but I bet you won't. And he didn't. Let's see if I understand you correctly, because I'm honestly curious as to why this is happen, happening. Your OP was about people who only stopped by to disagree, nothing else. Now I have disagreed with you before. Sometimes we've come to an understanding and sometimes we just have different views. Now, now keep in mind, I have no idea who this guy is. with the exception of social media, and I have met him one time about seven years ago. He evidently has a parasocial relationship with me. He's thought about me way more than I've thought about him. All right. Now I have disagreed with you before. Sometimes we've come to an understanding and sometimes We just have different views, but I also comment on other things. Granted, not that much. I do listen to your podcast. Sometimes I agree. Sometimes I don't. You also, in the meme, mention validation. I don't need that, which I understand would be you agreeing or giving in, etc. I'm still here because the way you've reacted has been baffling to me. The reason reason it's baffling is because I didn't agree with you. And I didn't validate you. That's why you're baffled. I've tried to insert LOL to let you know I'm not angry in the least, but it doesn't seem to work. You say I don't understand. Why don't you explain it exactly what it is I'm missing? Because, brother, 
I don't claim to be a great genius. Now, this is where, this is where in my mind, I'm going to be like, this is it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to give him something over which he can clutch pearls. And I'm going to see if he's honest or not. I don't care enough about you to explain it. You have shown you are a troll. Keep commenting, though. You are getting something out of it. Ah, here it is. Now, wait a minute, Tony. We are brothers, saved folk, going to heaven to live in eternity together. Forget the rest of the exchange because it's not important. It's not important. Then why do you keep commenting and commenting and commenting and commenting? You just told a brother in Christ, I don't care enough about you to explain it. I don't care if you explain it now, but brother, check your heart. So according to him, if I don't take the time to explain to him what I have been trying to explain to him, if I don't put it in other words and I don't spoon feed it to him, I'm going to hell. Like he didn't use those words, but listen to what he says. That violates a lot of scripture. He says, you honestly don't care about a brother. So listen to how he framed that. This is the pearl clutching. This is the, you honestly don't care about the brother. Nobody said that. I said, I don't care enough about you to explain this. That's a far cry different. There's a lot of people in this world I don't care enough about them to talk to. But I care enough about them that I would save if they were in danger. In the heat of the moment, I'd give my life to protect theirs. I wouldn't do it cold. I came back from it. But, but in the heat of the moment, if I didn't think about it, I'd probably die trying to save somebody that I didn't care anything about at all other than the fact that they're part of the human race, other than the fact that they, my brother in Christ, if they're saved. But anyway, he said, you honestly don't care about a brother? So he's pearl clutching that. He picked something up that I never said, that I never affirmed, and he twisted it. He built up a straw man. Now he's going to burn it down. That violates a lot of scripture. I'm not out to win anything, but Tony... I respectfully ask that you pray about that last comment. Well, wait a second. The last comment, the one that the one that you heard, I don't care about you, or what I actually said, I don't care enough about you to explain this. Which one should I pray about? My son has a t-shirt that says, I neither have the time nor the crayons to explain this to you. Is he military? That that sounds like some military humor. I mean, it's really good, but it sounds like military humor. I've left Ben Grady's comment up so long. Um, I'm going to hide it now, but that that's the nuance is what we're after here. We interpret what, and this is how I know this is a bad actor because everything I say he is taking and he's framing it in the, or he's tw- twisting it and using it to frame what I've said and frame me 
in the worst possible light. Ah, uh, IT, um, IT, IT. Something technologies, IT. Anyway, I don't know what IT means, evidently. I should. It's, it's right there on my head, IT. Anyway, um, so I respectfully ask that you pray about that last comment. Saying don't care about someone is pretty serious. You're better than that, my brother. So right here, this is this is pearl clutching, straw manning, and virtue signaling all wrapped up together. I said, now you're pearl clutching. You also dishonestly framed what I said. Keep commenting though. I remember you said you didn't come you didn't come to nor want to argue, fight, or quote unquote get into it. How have you shown that to be true? And he goes, well, and now this is where he's being dismissive. Well, I suppose there's a name for everything. But when you say you don't care enough about a brother to do something, that reveals a heart condition. So now he's saying that I'm going to hell. Forget the rest. I'll concede the point because it's not important. Well, that's a lie. It was very, very important for you to put 100 different comments up here. What's important is your soul. I'm asking you to check your heart condition. If you want to make light of of that and throw it back at me, that's your prerogative. But scripture says we should care enough about each other to point out sins. You see, he don't even have the gumption to come right out and say that I'm in sin and going to hell, which I would have respected him much more for. He beats around the bush. This guy not only is a member of the church, but he is a gospel preacher. Not only is he a member of the church, he is a gospel preacher. So I reply, keep going. Now you're posturing. And that's what that is. That's posturing. He's Because he set himself up to be higher than me anyway. So look. You have a heart condition, and and you're not going to take what I say. And so he's posturing. He's putting me lower than him. I said, for someone who posts as much as you do about being the victim of narcissistic abuse, you sure do a good job of acting that part. You are still dishonestly framing what I said. If you want to show yourself a bigger man and take the moral high ground, stop commenting All you have to do is stop responding. I don't think you can, though. I think you are so arrogant that you have to have the last word. Go ahead. Prove me wrong. And then, of course, now now he knows at this point that he's, he's a had lad. Tony, this is my last post. It's your page, so you get the last word. Well, that's mighty nice of you. I appreciate that. You've condescended to this man of low estate and given me permission on my page to get the last word. Thank you. I don't want to respond to the things that you said. They're just not important anymore. Well, then why did you come in in the first place? All right, sorry. If I'm a narcissist, so be it. If I'm gaslighting you, fine. All I'm saying now is I'm concerned for your soul. Just pray about it, brother. What do you think? Are you think? What do you mean? Pray about it? That's so useless. So you think if I pray about it, God's going to magically 
give me some kind of piece of knowledge that I need? Wouldn't the proper response be, look, you need to go read your Bible. Anyway. Just pray about it. The older I get, and I can't be much younger than you if I even am, the more I grow concerned about the things we say to each other, then you shouldn't have come up in my house saying those things. <laughs> I mean, come on. How we treat each other. Your words deeply trouble me for your sake. Oh, well, fall on that spear for me. I appreciate you. But they trouble me for your sake, not mine. Have a good night and a great holiday season, brother. Again, virtue signaling. He's bowing out. So here's my response. I said, I treat people how Jesus treated them. I treated you with love and respect. And all you did was come in and be smug and self-important. You are also dishonestly framing what I said. There is no need for you to be concerned for my soul. I knew he would. I was curious, but I knew he wasn't going to respond after that. So that's the whole thread. And we're at two hours and 22 minutes. I didn't realize I was going to go through the whole, th whole thread. But like I said, that's, I mean, that's just the worst kind of cowardice, yellow belly, no spine mess that you see on Facebook because of these, this not understanding the simple principles of it's not your job to go around and control everybody and correct everybody. Who do you think you are to go up into somebody's house and, and correct them? Think about if it were, and, and this is what a parasocial relationship does. It takes away our red flags. There is no way. Could you imagine if I, Steve Higginbotham of the Carnes Church of Christ. I don't know what it would be, but let's say I disagree with him about something. If I went whenever he was teaching Bible class at the Carnes Church of Christ, and every time he said something I disagreed with, I raised my hand to correct him. How long do you think that would last? How long do you think it would be before the eldership or members of it would approach me and say, and pull me off to the side and say, hey, you got two choices. Keep your mouth shut and quit disrupting and trying to take over the class or leave. But you can't disrupt. You can't do that here. Well, it's just a dissent. You mean you don't like people disagreeing with you? Well, I think it's rather cowardly of you not to let me offer a dissent. No, it's not my class. It's not my platform. We would never do this behavior in real life. In fact, as you're going down the grocery store aisle, if you saw two people having a conversation and both of them were wrong, you wouldn't say, well, excuse me, let me butt up into your conversation and correct you. If you would, you need some help. So that's what social media has done to our society. It causes us to behave in ways on our online personas that we would never, ever behave that way in real life. And I think, and this is just me being inflective, I think that the people that have problems with me, that one of the problems they have with me is the conversation that I just read to you, I'd have in real life. 
the, the, the things that I say, I would say eyeball to eyeball, or I'll say in a microphone doing a live stream. I do not care. There is not a man alive who's bad enough to eat me. You may harm me. You may kill me, but you can't eat me. I'm going to, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And I'm my, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be throttled. And I think, I think having that conviction and having that self-assurance, I think some people just don't like it anyway. Being great. He says, I like long discussions. Yeah, I, I do too. And we, buddy, we've had one today. All right. So I think I'm done. Uh, at two hours and 26 minutes, I cannot believe we still have the people we have in here. So I'm thankful for you. Um, it's good to see everybody. Uh, remember get outside, go touch grass. Um, awesome. Scott Beck says, uh, this podcast is a good example of why I support Aaron and Tony. I really appreciate that. And, uh, Scott says, thank you, brother. And it's my pleasure. And I ain't lying to you, Scott. I, I, and th this goes for anybody. I want you to come up and, uh, and, uh, I want you to come up and visit us. If you're a gospel preacher, you need to have a sermon in your back pocket, but, uh, cause I'm going to, I'm going to make you preach. TikTok society is unfortunate. Yes, it is, Ben. Ooh, ooh, TikTok. Listen. Christianity now started out as I would scour TikTok to get videos for us to react to. Y'all, one of the reasons I backed off of that is because of what TikTok was doing to my dopamine receptors in my brain. You you'd get scrolling on TikTok and man, you that's it right 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 there. You took the you took the words out of my mouth. Doom scrolling. I found myself if I understand the definition, <laughs> if I understand the definition of this term correctly, I found myself doom scrolling with TikTok. I would, I would, I, granted, I would, I would steal two or three videos for for Christianity Now podcast. But and no, see what I'm doing? My finger, I'm flipping. I'm I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Um, but I would find myself. It's been two hours, and I've it's been two hours, and I've just done these. I've just gone through TikTok. Man, I can't be doing this. We got to find something else to do, and so we kind of we kind of revamped a little bit. I'm not saying that we'll never do reactions to videos again, but uh, I'm going to make sure that I don't get a it. It, it messes with my dopamine receptors. That, that's anyway. I got to. We'll be here another hour. Rusty Kirby says another good podcast. Tony, I feel most people aren't listeners nowadays, including myself. I got to be careful. Or, or I'll, I'm, I mean, I'm, there's no temptation trial, I guess I could say, uh, overtaking you, but such as is common to man. I mean, if, if, if one person, you know, has trouble listening, then that's something that's common to everybody and everybody has to work on it. So I got to be careful. I can't remember. It wasn't too long ago where I topped out a comment to post based on what I thought somebody typed. And I read it more than once. 
I wish I could remember where that was because it'd make a good illustration. Uh, luckily, I, I caught myself like, oh, that's not what they were saying. And it was something silly like I, I, I skipped a knot or anyway, I can't remember. Uh, something that was on Christianity now. Um, but anyway, hey, hey, Alabama, same for me. Uh, someone mentioned that one time, someone mentioned that one time as why she never got anything done. I recognized that as myself and requested library books and to sit on a porch and read. Absolutely. Yeah, doom scrolling, man. Like I said, if I'm understanding what doom scrolling is, I, 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 I fell into that doom scrolling and I could eat up a couple of hours really quickly. All right, folks, whether we're done or not, we got to stop. Uh, be sure and subscribe to the YouTube channel. We'd love for you to do that. Uh, subscribe to Substack. Uh, I, in fact, I've got to narrate my article for today. I haven't done that yet, uh, but we will do that. And um, Rumble, YouTube, Facebook, Substack. And remember, if you like what we do and you want to support us, the best way to do it is Substack at a $5 a month subscription. But you can also just send a PayPal to nearchurches at gmail.com or you be, you can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. Um, and that's all we've got. Listen, God bless every one of you. Um, I think that I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go delete that comment thread and delete all of those comments. The one from the other guy, I think is a good enough comment to leave up and he didn't come back and try to argue. So the, I think there's enough substantive there's enough of substance in that one comment that I read that I'm going to leave it up but I think the other we're going to I'm going to I'm going to shut them down I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to delete them all um oh wow eventually took the clothes out of the washer and put them in the dryer we have no sense of time sometimes that's it that's it all right guys Subscribe wherever you find us. This has been Tony Brewer with Christianity Now, absent Aaron Dotson. I think next week Aaron will be back. And for the month of January, we have a guest coming on. I'll have to tell you the date, but it's Preston Silcox. And we're going to be talking about uh, planting congregations, local mission work, and stuff like that. And I can't wait to have him on, on the show. So, Anyway, this has been Tony Brew with Christianity Now. Like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. God bless you, and we'll catch you on the flip side.